Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I am here today with a great uh, guest. It's um, a chap called Peter Greenwood, and he is the owner and founder of Greenwood Residential here in Kingston. And it's not very often that we get the chance to speak to someone who is absolutely an expert on the lettings and the buying side of estate agency world. Um, So it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Peter. Well, thank you very much. I feel (laughs) very honoured to be here. And uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to hopefully sharing some of my journey with you. Brilliant. Good stuff. Well, actually, that's a perfect place to start, isn't it? So why don't you just, you know, do exactly that, share how you got into the world of estate agency? Okay, bit of a story, this one. So, um, (laughs) you know, get your cup of tea ready and buckle up. Great. Um, So I, I... First started as a as as I as a Royal Navy rating. So I joined the Royal Navy when I was sixteen. So I was born and bred in sunny Pontefract in West Yorkshire, and um, my family were a mining family. Um, and I saw the prospect of either going down the mines or going abroad. And um, I had a cousin that was in the Navy, and all I saw were fantastic postcards from Hong Kong and Singapore and other fabulous places. And I thought I'd like some of that. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So I joined up, I went to HMS Ganges, which used to be the, um, um, the initial recruiting place at uh, Ipswich, you know, in the good old days in mm. the 1970s. And I spent six months uh, basically in basic training, both at um, Ganges, and then I went to Mercury, which is in Petersfield in, um, in, in Hampshire. And I learned to become a radio operator. So I was um, Morse code, very good at Morse code, yeah. um, semaphore, flags, that sort of thing. So it's all about communication. So it's, it's actually helped me in my life so far because I learned to type, which was, which was quite incredible. So I learned to type, at, you know, 40 plus words a minute and I could type Morse code, which is even more brainwashing. So right. um, actually uh, my first ship when I qualified uh, was a mine hunter uh, based out of Portland. And um, we would take all of our signals by Morse code. So I would sit in a a little signals room. I'd have a cipher machine, wow. um, and I would sit and listen to what we called groupers. So, groups of five letters, and you would type those random letters in, and that, of course, would then get decoded, decoded with a crypto to give the message, whatever the message may be. Wow. Um, and after about a three-hour sked, as we used to call them, a schedule, I'd then go to bed and I'd ask, I'd tell myself to go to sleep in Morse code. <laughs> So I would say, sleep now. And it's interesting. I can still remember the Morse code as if it was just yesterday. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, um, so six months on, on, on that mine hunter. And then I basically had a, a career as a radio operator. So I, I actually then went to um, a ship called HMS Hydra, which was a survey ship based in the Gulf. So this is when the Shah was in post. I flew um, out to... Um, um, to Moscow, then to Tehran, and then down to Bandar Abbas to join my ship. So um, again, I was 17, so it was quite an experience to to kind of do that straight away. 
Um, and then I spent six months in the, um, in the Gulf surveying, um, doing uh, hydrographic surveys, which of course, they're the same surveys that we use today for all of the deep water channels, the mine warfare that we do in and out of the uh, Straits of Amuz, etc. So Gosh. it was great experience and, and actually a really fabulous time for me. That's when I, I learned to, uh, to do a bit of training, physical education training. Um, and, uh, you know, after I'd finished on that ship, I came back to the UK and then I did this thing called the field gun. So I don't know if you saw the Royal Tournament ever, but um, I represented Portsmouth, which would, again, was a, a great move forward. Um, and then really it was a matter of um, just letting the years go by. So you become a leading hand. Then I was, uh, fortunately, I went on to a physical training instructors course. So again, always in that kind of environment, but I always wanted to do something higher and something better. Mm. And so I, got, I did actually get recommended for officer, which as a young lad from Pontefract was quite daunting, um, but I passed my Admiralty interview board and then um, off I went to Dartmouth to become a seaman officer. So you, you generally join as either a seaman officer, an engineer, a pilot, or perhaps a submariner, they're, they're, they're kind of the four areas. Um, and again, I did a year as a trainee at Dartmouth, as a midshipman. Um, I was fortunate enough to, um, to be awarded the Queen's Telescope at the oh. end of that time for the, being the, um, the smartest or whatever they say, anyway, the top uh, supplementary list officer. So that was, a, that was a wonderful thing to get. And then I then carried on onto, onto bigger ships. Um, and, um, and I went on to frigates initially. Um, and the first, um, the first proper job I had was an HMS Plymouth. And we went to the Caribbean to do um, uh, the West Indies Guardship, which is a fantastic um, six months of touring around every island in the West Indies and doing various things. And one of the highlights, I have to say, was, um, was when I went to Grenada. Um, and we went there just after, we were the first British ship after the Americans had had that um, horrendous um, mm. occupation. Um, so we went there to try and bring back um, British trade into the islands. And uh, whilst we were there, um, Julia Morley was there with Miss World. And, um, and we became their host, their platform, basically. So they would come to us and have children's parties, press interviews and things like that, because we were basically a piece of Britain in mm. Grenada. Um, and um, it, 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 was, it was a really fantastic time. And, um, and while I was there, I also um, um, had a tennis match because um, in those days I used to be able to hit a ball now and again. <laughs> and, um, and after the match, I got invited to take Miss World to dinner at the governor's house with the captain, of course, who took Julia Morley. <laughs> so uh, we kind of, which is quite, and you, you know, there I was a young 20, 23-year-old and um, and I and we went to this lovely dinner at the governor's house and uh, and had a fabulous time. So you know you get little highlights, um, you know that make life amazing and memorable. Mm. Um, and you know also while we were out there, we were doing hurricane relief. So again, you'll have heard, you know, various um, hurricanes that fly, that go through the uh, the Caribbean each year. Yeah. So we were there basically to provide support to any British colony. Um, that had had uh, issues. So mm. again, it was a fantastic opportunity. Gosh. But that's kind of you know, it's it's you know it's that's the start of a long naval journey, mm. and then from there, I decided I want to be a mine clearance diver. So I then qualified a six month professional diving course. Um, so that that um, will that allows you to be able to um, do mixture gas breathing down to fifty four meters. 
to use hard hat diving, fed from the surface so you can do underwater engineering. Wow. Um, and uh, your, your real goal is to provide support to the ships wherever they're based in the world. So um, you could be flown out to do a propeller change or, or you could be flown out to do maritime security and, and a swim through a, a destroyer in Mumbai um, to make sure no one's put a limpet mine there. Mm -hmm. And then if they... If anything is there, our job is to destroy it. Gosh, fascinating! So um, you know that that was quite interesting, and then and then from there I became a um, a warfare officer. So again, another course for a year to get to the what they call the the kind of the premier level of officer. So you can then become promoted to um, you know um, second in command of a frigate or in command of a frigate. Um, I made second in command of two frigates and had two fantastic trips on HMS. Um, uh, Argyle and Grafton, uh, which were Type 23 frigates. Um, and I also spent time on board HMS Invincible, um, wow. the aircraft carriers. So, yeah, you know, I went from mine hunters all the way through to um, aircraft carriers. I then got promoted to commander. I came ashore, went to MOD, Ministry of Defence, mm. and spent three years there before taking up a posting at the embassy in Washington for three years. Um, again, which was incredible that was 2004 to 2007 so post um 9-11 post gulf you know the gulf war mm. in, in in afghanistan um all of which you know um the second gulf war i was in the bunker in mod and and and, and such like so that was fascinating um but then um, being in america i was now meeting my opposite number at the pentagon or at the navy yard to exchange ideas and concepts equipment, quite a lot of equipment uh, exchanges go on with both countries, um, and also have a good time. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't go to America not to have a good time. So <laughs> sure. um, uh, we, ha we had uh, three years there with my wife, came back to UK, and then I had probably, I will say, my finest job, because I became commanding officer of all Royal Navy diving um, and bomb disposal. So I spent three years at Portsmouth in the Fleet Diving Squadron, Wow. Um, and again, we would deploy units to the Gulf um, uh, to uh, provide IED support to the army on the ground. So our operators went in and, and, and did work with the army with 11 Reg um, EOD and also um, with um, the, the ships that are in, in the Gulf or wherever they happen to be. We'd send diving teams to prepare for a ship going alongside in what could be a hostile environment. Gosh. Um, so great fun. And then yeah. the last job I had was from 2009 to 12, which was when I, um, uh, I was in charge of the preparations for the Olympics, for the Royal Navy input to the Olympics. So um, I was the, the senior staff officer. I worked at Northwood, which is the Maritime Operations Centre. And uh, we had a great uh, team environment. And, and, and we would organise meetings with the uh, local authorities, the police, um, the, uh, the fire brigade, all the blue light services um, to try and ensure that planning was in place for any work in um, either the River Thames, so to protect the venue itself mm. at uh, Stratford and also in Weymouth because there were all the water sports were down in Weymouth. And so we designed concepts to um, potentially stop vessels that were um, carrying um, uh, terrorists or bombs uh, and we work with the special forces just like you saw this last week 
you know, with the vessel that was off of um, Southampton. So, mm. you know, those were the kind of people we worked with and it was fantastic to do that sort of stuff. Gosh, what an illustrious career, like yeah. a quick canter. So, you know, it's funny, isn't it? When you meet someone for the first time, you have no idea about their background and all of this fascinating, you yeah. know, Navy career that you had. That's absolutely Thank phenomenal. That's, uh, Gosh, very impressive. I really enjoyed my 37 years yeah. in the military and I really enjoyed... Um, the, ch- the time to leave, you know, sometimes when you've been in a job, you know when it's time to move on. Mm. You, you know, you're grumpy with everyone that's um, doing things around you. Maybe the defence cuts are really going to take a hammering that year, which, yeah. which is the way things are. And you hear, you, you hear yourself saying it wasn't like that 10 years ago. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's time to leave. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's fantastic. Um, I'd just done a lot of maritime security stuff. I did um, counter piracy in Somalia stuff from northward as well so i felt i could really go into the into the world and get a fantastic job in maritime insurance something different something that would be good and i actually had a really good friend that worked at Allianz, and so i spent um you know two weeks with them there and another good friend that worked at lloyd's of london so i spent a week there and after it, I realised that actually it was exactly the same as what I'd been doing right. for the last 10 years, um, except somebody wanted me to make a profit doing it now. Yeah. And, and, and I realised I just didn't want to do that, okay. um, which is then what brought me on my journey of becoming an estate agent. Um, so over the time I'd moved around UK, different ports, I'd kept houses rather than sell them, mm. so um, mainly in Portsmouth and uh, in the London area. Um, and, um, and so we basically got a small portfolio, myself and my wife, of um, six properties, six rental properties. Mm. Um, and I thought, I could become an estate agent. That can't be hard. I see all those, those people <laughs> out there doing it and um, yeah. you know, they seem to be making good money. And back in 2012, it was, you know, quite a good time in the market to be thinking like that. Mm. So um, I actually went to a franchise show in uh, um, Olympia and I met a guy there called Alex Clark, who is a successful or was a successful estate agent in Cheltenham. Um, And um, he had a brilliant lettings industry down Mm. there, you know, where he had around a thousand properties on his books. So that and an office full of maybe 15 staff um, and um, he'd come up with a concept to um, to franchise his model, basically. Mm. Uh, I mean, already out there were Martin and Co, yeah. Northwood, Belvoir. They were all there. But the difference with Alex was I could choose where I wanted to go and how big an area I particularly wanted. Mm. And also, I just thought, you know, if it doesn't work... I can find a way out of this and branch out on my own. Yeah. Um, so I did a, a fabulous course, two months of, of training mm. down in Cheltenham. A brilliant uh, lady called Susie Carolla, who is the uh, CEO of the Guild of Lettings and Management. Okay. And she did the, uh, the, the, the training. In fact, she's coming up to see us on Wednesday. So we're going to have a training day because it's important to do continuous mm. Pro- mm. You know, professional development, etc. Um, and um, and then it was looking for a for a property, looking for somewhere to base myself. And mm. um, I, I obviously I live in Kingston. I've lived in Kingston twenty years, so um, I wanted to be here. I didn't want to travel into central London. I didn't want mm. to go too far. So um, I actually found this property that we're in now, yeah. this office. 
it was actually at the time a fun store. Right. So they sold, you know, giz- gimmicks and yeah, party stuff and all of that. <laughs> um, um, and, and I think they might be growing something dodgy downstairs. <laughs> Sorry, I hope the police are watching this. But um, it wasn't exactly what I expected to find down there. Anyway, you know, um, commercial property, interesting. You know, you you take on what you get. There's no fit outs. You know, that's mm. a cost. So actually, the big part of my you know, journey in estate agency was actually understanding how to run a business mm. and start a commercial practice up. So it isn't, you know, it isn't just a matter of finding the office. It's it's the office, it's the equipment, it's the image, mm. it's the paperwork, you know, all of your branding and everything else that goes with it, which, of course, in the Navy, I didn't really have to do much. No, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. kind of all there. So um, um, fortunately, Emma, my wife, is uh, an osteopath. Uh, she's been practicing for 25 years she's got her own successful business so she was able to, able to help me right yeah. and guide and um and and her mother as well to be perfect nice i give her some credit <laughs> i do call her the wicked witch occasionally but um <laughs> you know she helped me a lot in those in those early days yeah and and fantastic because because and you made an interesting point peter because it's your name above the door yeah you know you are independent you are the owner the founder and and your values and you know all of your life experience mm. that you you bring into you've brought into your business um how do you think that is different compared to, say, some of the, the chains that are out there? Because, you know, I it, it's not very often that you get the chance to have a voice sometimes in the property world. Right. We often hear from investors, you hear from sort of refurb and building side of things, but you don't often get to hear from estate agents and lettings agents. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I get the sense from, from the time that I have spent with you that your values are very much entrenched in your business and it is your name above the door yeah um so so yeah so talk about that a little bit if you don't mind yeah um so you know values for me are the the pinnacle Mm. so um not just the product we deliver or advertise but the customer service that goes with it Mm. and then following up when things don't go right because actually you know what they don't always go right yeah but I think the sign of a good of a good business is when things don't work out is how quickly can you rectify it and can you stop it from reoccurring in the future? Mm. Which which um, you know that's what we try to do. You know, lessons learned is 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 a very key and a strong tool. Mm. Um, but I I think the the most important thing for me is once the name goes above the door it gives you a certain amount of pride yeah um but you're also you understand that the buck does stop with you Mm. so you know Mm. when someone's not happy or when um you're trying to achieve something you know that it it will fall on me one way or the other either it will go really well which touch wood it has most of the time yeah but you know when things don't go well you have to then find a way out of it mm. and uh, uh you know and a way to come through it so you can be stronger next time and mm. and, and again when i started in 2012 2013 the market was okay but wasn't as you know as strong as um i'd been told all the good old stories yeah. <laughs> from 2008 to 2012 yeah. of people queuing up around the block to buy a house or mm. to buy a uh, to get a rental property or to find a letting agent etc mm. and it didn't really work out that way when you know when we opened up on day one here um you know i was lucky i had a fabulous landlord across the road jay who is the the news agent who literally walked over and said um you know welcome to the precinct I'd like you to rent my house in Kenley Drive. Mm. And I said, fantastic. This is going to... And I actually, for a moment, thought, could it really be like this every day? 
Uh, yeah, and then reality, of course, hit for the next two weeks as the doors stayed closed and, yeah. you know, people don't necessarily come in all the time. Yeah. But um, we've had good steady growth um, over the years, um, initially focusing on the letting side. Mm. And then for the last four years, we've been trying to break into the sales market. And we're doing a, a pretty good job now on the mm. sales side. You know, we've currently got 18 properties on the market. Yeah. And, you know, your average um, studio flat in Kingston is an eye-watering £220,000. Yeah. And your average one bed is at 260, two beds 300 to 425, mm. um, two beds. And then if you look at a house, you're talking uh, starting price in this area is 600,000 yeah. for a three bed. Mm. Um, and it just goes up quite quickly. So mm. it's fantastic. You know, when I, um, you know, when I rent a room in an HMO and I can achieve, um, uh, 550 pounds per month. Mm. Um, a lot of my colleagues that I know that are still in West Yorkshire or or in other parts of the country, they would rent a two bedroom flat for that. Yeah, and yeah. I've got six rooms, all of 550 or above. Mm. So there is a good return, but I think you know to the um, entrepreneur or to the investor. It, you'd really probably have got to be near a while ago. It's quite hard to come in now unless you're mm. coming in cash rich. So you can buy and not have a, a huge mortgage to pay off. Mm. But there's still money to be made. Mm. You know, there, mm. are, there are still some great properties out there um, that investors can actually take on, renovate, split into rooms, either HMO or just change a two bed into two one beds. You know, yeah. um, you know, people are often, you know, I get landlords or potential investors who come in and they say, you know, if I wanted to buy a property, what's my best property to buy what is yes. my investment you know where will I get the best yield yeah and I always will say either a, a studio or a one bed right because it's least expensive to buy you know mm. it's at the bottom end and you actually your yield is, is just going to be so much better because you haven't paid that lump sum out at the start yeah um, and so once you go above two bedroom if you get a three bedroom flat I'm you know I'm sorry but you, you the third bedroom's not going to give you anything extra really yeah, yeah. you know because it's just a, it's a, they'll they'll pay for a two bed they won't really pay much more for a mm, three mm, mm. so then houses become the next level uh, and again that's when I think you know the terminology changes from it's not it's not the yield we're now talking about it's the capital growth yeah absolutely it's the year on year growth that you're going you're going to get by being in an area like um, Kingston and, you mm. know, North Kingston, where we are now, where your house is, mm-hmm. you know, schools are pretty much outstanding everywhere. So, yeah. you know, if you've got outstanding Ofsted schools, if you've got a train station within six minutes of our office mm. and you can get in central London in 26 minutes and you've got Richmond Park and Cambry Gardens and the River Thames and a fantastic shopping area, mm. why wouldn't you want to be in Kingston? I mean, you know, I've been all over the country and I can tell you, I don't want to move from here. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me, Peter, as I'm just about to move to, to Manchester. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we are relocating yeah. for our business. We are not yeah. selling up in Kingston, but um, yeah, that's no, interesting. But, and, and I only advertise my area because I love it. But if yeah, I was yeah. in Manchester, I'd advertise Manchester <laughs> yeah. equally as well. Because that's, no, of that's course. part of it. But it is interesting because you talked about sort of investors and different strategies that work in different mm. areas, you know, and uh, you, you're right, the yield's down. It's more of an equity play. It's, a, mm-hmm. you know, it's a capital growth play yeah. um, in in this part of the of the world, whereas up north it tends to be much more around the yields yeah. that you can get a more of cash flowing type strategy in that sense. But um, but as you say, Kingston is a great area. It's got so much to offer, hasn't it? Yeah, it Which has, is, yeah. I guess, partly why you chose here and you yeah. know, and, and have lived here yourself. And for a so lot long. of people here will, of course, travel in from 
So they'll get their first flat in uh, Putney, mm. in uh, Wandsworth, Fulham, somewhere maybe more central. Yeah. And then um, once they get married, they'll go to a two-bed or a relationship, mm. and suddenly a child comes along, and then you start looking around in central London, and there aren't the uh, schools that you might want to go to, mm. or it's very expensive. They're yeah. private. Yeah. And so as soon as a child gets to either reception year. Age five or six, or looking to go to um, a secondary school at ten、uh, or eleven, then we get a lot of people coming out to、mm, Kingston because、mm. of the the schools we have around yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And you know the world that w- that we're in, which is property investing,、mm. um, you know, relationships with with estate agents is absolutely key in、yeah. terms of being able to, you know.、Uh, Find deals and and be able to have a long a long standing relationship with the agents、mm. that we work with. We find that's really important. What advice would you give, sitting on the other side of the of the table, as an estate agent, where you have investors coming in and you might have I don't know how many you get a day, but there's probably quite a few,、mm. and they, maybe they're all saying the same thing. Oh, I'm an investor. I'm looking for a deal. Like you know, what do you think is the most important things that an investor can do in in the context of working with yourself? What do you like to see? Sitting on the other side of the table. Okay,、um, for me, it's all about honesty,、mm. and it's about、um, understanding what it is that they're trying to achieve. So,、okay. um, you know, the ones, the investors I get coming in nowadays, there aren't many that come in and just say, "I want a complete doer upper," because、right. they are all wise enough to know that most of the doer uppers have gone. Yeah. Um, and、um, or there's competition, direct competition with、um, the rest of the people who are looking to buy in the area anyway. And、mm. and now, honestly, I wish I had a pound for every time a, a potential purchaser would walk in and say, you know, we're moving out of our one bed and we're really like a doer upper. You know, could you get us one of those? Yeah. I mean, honestly, that is the that is a classic. But we'd love to be able to give everybody one of those. But there've been so many people that have done them.、Mm. So now you only get those generally after probate. Yeah. So someone that's been living in the area for、um, you know twenty thirty years,、mm. and recently I had a house on Woodside Road, which is just behind us. Unfortunate probate. Lady had lived there for a long time, fifty years.、Mm. Um, needed a lot of work to into it, and it still sold at the asking price within a week at nine hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Wow! And、yeah. that's a three bed property. So,、um, you know, investors wouldn't necessarily want that because.、Mm. The cost of doing the work on that is about two hundred thousand. Exactly. Yeah. So when you take that and stamp duty into account, and then once you've finished it, its value is about one point two five million.、Mm. So there's about a eighty to a hundred thousand pounds worth of profit. But、not、you know, if you go and buy another property and you've got the stamp duty thing again, you're not really making a lot for a、yeah. year's worth of work. No, exactly, so,、um, exactly. Which、yeah. is why maybe, as you say, more creative strategies around HMOs,、yeah. split titles, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and people looking for corner plots. You、yes. know, see a, a lot of investors want to buy the house that's on the corner in the hope、yeah. that they can extend it sideways into the rear.、Mm. Again, around the areas and the, these sort of areas, loft extensions and standard rear extensions, everyone does. Yeah, you don't need to be a developer to. Do that,、mm. um, but again, I do think there's good money in some of the、um, the bigger houses. You know, now especially as HMO has has definitely loosened up, it's more available.、Mm. Yeah,、um, and、um, and you know, Kingston Council have got their、um, their criteria for HMO, but actually, you know, I was pleasantly surprised that that some of the more central、um, three story and four story blocks. 
Um, their, um, their HMO is a little bit more flexible because they'll allow rooms to be let without an HMO if it was basically a 1980s build or beyond. Okay. So that, that, that's quite a good one. So, so yeah, I think um, for investors, they're looking for, they always want to, you, you need to add value and square, square meterage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just, you know, just coming in with an attitude that I'll change the kitchen or put a new bathroom in, that doesn't do anything, as, as your wise people will know. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's got to be square meterage because that's what counts. And yeah. around here, your average square square foot price is six hundred and fifty pounds per square foot. Mm, mm. So um, again, you you know you can you can look online and you can track that pretty well. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. And and in terms of um, the current market, mm-hmm. um, sounds like it's still it's pretty buoyant from yeah. what you've described. What are your thoughts as we you know we obviously. COVID, furlough, all of the sort of um, mm. macroeconomic environment, environment that we're in now. What are your thoughts on sort of looking into next year, mm-hmm. um, how the market might move um, up or down accordingly? What do you okay. think? Okay, so I, I think um, it's important to just remember what how we got here. Yes. So we, let's just go back in time quickly four years mm. and, and, and remember that the first big hit for your investors was with the changes in the... Um, um, the tax relief yes. for for landlords, and that was a huge, huge, huge hit to everybody. Mm. Um, and then that was closely followed by the Brexit vote. So um, I think a lot of people wanted and felt it would go quite quickly. Mm. Um, of course, you know our lovely man, Mr. Cameron, didn't even do a plan B. Mm. You know, it was no, it's not going to come up. We're we're going to be remaining. But yep. guess what? You know, the people had their vote and. And rightly or wrongly, and I'm not going to say what my side is, sure. there was a decision made. Yeah. And, and, that, and that decision then took too long to go through. So that brought massive uncertainty in all markets, financial, um, you know, banking, insurance, investment. So everything suffered for a three year period until we finally got to the point where there was the general election, mm. you know, last year. Um, and, and that then, you know, ruled the fact that the people have chosen the Conservatives to deliver what they agreed to. And then um, the fact that then we had the announcement that in January of this year, we would we would leave. Mm. Um, and um, with that, that meant that um, um, a lot of international companies in this area and Manchester, you know, in, in, in the second capital of, of, of England, which it should be called, mm. um, were undecided as to what they could do because with Brexit, our... Are we all going to have to go to do um, insurance in Frankfurt or banking in Munich or where yeah. where is it going to stabilise? So those people that were coming over to UK to work and that rent a lot of the properties, the good properties in, in this area and more central, or that buy as well, um, because a lot of people come and do invest and mm. expect to stay here for a 15-year period, yeah. so from anywhere in Europe. So all those people then just held off. Mm. Um, and so we had a, a complete... Um, pause in the market really for four years where um, if you look at right move statistics um, the areas pretty much this area or anywhere with the year 25 um, stay between one and three percent growth yeah so a tiny bit of growth but only for the best houses in that particular area yeah, so the rest sure. of the one percent but the really nice ones on your street they would have achieved a three percent increase mm, mm. but then of course um January comes and and you could really feel 
the tempo rising that things were going to change mm. and all all the property markets all the property magazines were talking about you know there's going to be a great increase in in february and march spring is going to be fantastic and then this thing called covid started to creep towards us from europe mm. and i think people started looking over their shoulder but there was a lot of it's not going to happen to us it's it's something that hopefully will stay there maybe we'll stay there um but guess what it didn't and mm. so you know round about the 23rd of march this year um, they closed all. Uh, we all went into isolation. Yeah. We closed our office. I sent, um, you know, our employees to work from home. Mm. Um, again, thankfully, we have a good lettings book, so um, you know we could continue to tr- to trade us property management. Yeah. You still got rents coming in, so we had you know funds. I mean, a lot of the agents that were just selling suddenly life was really hard because mm. nothing was going to sell for a period of time, mm-hmm. and so that then was only a three, you know, until May the 16th. And then um, they opened up estate agents and it was almost like someone firing a shotgun Mm. at the start um, because it just picked up very quickly, you know, really quickly. So we saw instantly on the the letting side where um, people were in one bed flats in a high rise and they wanted a two bed ground floor or they wanted outdoor space. You know, they needed an extra room to work from home. So, you know, those mm. those key things, you know, extra space for a room for, to work from, um, outdoor space, mm. great broadband, you know, again, because you're working online the whole time, um, and somewhere where you could just have recreation. Mm. So um, w- that's where there were a lot of changes. People were moving, even though um, we were still coming out of lockdown, people were booking move-ins, people were trying to um, uh, get removal companies to come and, 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 and move them on. Mm. And then on the sales side, it was exactly the same. You know, the sales side, people were upgrading, basically. So anything up to a million was going very quickly. Mm. Definitely over a million because we still have people hesitant about the Brexit decision and what, what is really going to happen. Yeah. Um, that was hesitant and a little bit slow. Um, and then fortunately, the Chancellor then came out and gave the stamp duty holiday up to half a million. Mm. And again, that was a massive push. And, and right now we're still seeing that. We're seeing, um, you, know, every, you know, a lot of people either on help to buy, looking for new properties, yeah. or people who are just basically um, knowing that now is the time to get their first foot on the ladder in their one bed or their two bed or whatever it may be um, and take advantage of it. Because for um, a half a million pound stamp duty, that's 15,000 pounds as yeah. a as a saving, which is, a, you know, a, a, lot. <laughs> a considerable amount. Yeah. 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 So, so obviously, you know, a lot of kind of backdrop to where we are today. Mm-hmm. So going into next year um, with the end yeah. of the stamp duty holiday and, and you know, some of the uh, support from government maybe, you know, started to taper off, shall we say. What do you see happening in next year? Do you think the market will so drop? So I'm optimistic, OK, because... Um, you know, we, the, we've had enough pessimism for the last four years. So I'm optimistic in the sense that um, I think um, ultimately I can see the red wave and haze coming towards Kingston. Mm. So I think we'll be going into um, level three yep. in the next two weeks, sure. potentially the way things are going. Um, I don't know exactly how uh, how every area will, um, you know, will lock down and whether they'll allow us still to do some basic things in mm. estate agent. They have done in other parts of the country. But then again, in Wales, for example, they've just said no to everything. So yes. everything's stopped. Yeah. So we have to wait and see on that. But hopefully we can still do viewings using our full COVID procedures, which mm. we do now for every every single viewing. Um, but that, that, that will allow us to get up to Christmas. Mm. I don't think 
really between December the 1st and January the 10th or 5th, anything is going to happen. It's mm. going to be very quiet, the marketplace. But I do think in the new year, in early January, as, as hopefully it starts to lift a little bit, mm. and as people understand that March is always a busy year for us anyway, springtime is always yeah. a good time for everybody. Um, I think it's going to be very strong and very positive. I, think, I personally think it's going to be stronger than it was now because the people that have tried now that haven't quite got there um, are still looking forward to doing something. And, and I do think that the bigger properties which have struggled a little bit, mm. you know, the million plus. So really yeah. round our area, I would say the one and a half million plus. Yeah. Um, I think the you know, people will be thinking over Christmas, are we going to do that move or are we going to just stay here for a long mm. time? Because mm. a lot of people have actually been static for four years. Yeah. They yeah. haven't, they could have moved four years ago and the last four years have just been waiting mm. and everyone, you know, is the market going to go up or go down? And actually we haven't seen any signs of the market going down. Mm. It's always been this one to three percent. And now right move, just this week I read a right move report that talked about a five percent growth inside the M25 yeah. on sales. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think, yeah, and I, th- I mean, that's great to hear, hear your optimism, you know, mm. and I think it's, it is different by different areas, of course, you know, mm. and obviously we're relocating to Manchester for our property business. We're focusing on more of the, you know, the two, three bed terraced houses yeah. uh, where I think we will see a drop in prices because I think people's circumstances financially, unfortunately, may be quite difficult for some people as they move into next year. But yeah. that, that's a different, totally different market to here, which is, yeah. you know, in, in the, as you say, commuter belt into London, a very high affluent area anyway. So it'll be interesting to see how the regions yeah. play out, won't it? I, I, do, I do also feel, though, that, um, you know, mortgage lenders... Mm. You know, and the way surveyors are valuing, they're they're actually still undervaluing. Yeah. And you know, I'm seeing undervalues of five to ten percent on a property that we know is correct. Um, So they're covering their losses. Obviously, they want to make sure they're going to get their money back. Mm. But that has a knock-on effect then to how much um, any purchaser is going to have to put forward. Absolutely. And suddenly if they think they've got a 10% deposit, but then suddenly they've got to find an extra 20K, it might become a 5%. And the knock-on effect of that then is their mortgage has gone up because they won't get the best rate. Yes. Um, and, um, and, 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 you know, actually the lending criteria is incredibly strict right now as yeah, well. Yeah. And I can't see that changing. It's just going to get worse. So, mm. um, you know, as you said, unemployment is, is especially as the furlough scheme comes mm. to pretty much an end mm. uh, or is going to be definitely dampened down. Yeah. Um, there are going to be more people unemployed. Well, well, how are they going to get mortgages if they're not in employment at the time of mm. applying for the mortgage? Sure, sure. So you're right. I, I, I do think it's going to be a challenging time in in different areas for those, as you say, for the different reasons. Yeah. But it's still going to be a good environment. Yeah. You know, because we are an island. Um, you know, we are also, um, you know, vastly under full of um, properties. So there, there's a huge void. You know, people have come into the country. People are on waiting lists with with the council for um, 18 months, two years and beyond. I mean, how can that mm. be, can be right? So if they can't rent from the government or they can't rent from the council then it's the private rental sector that yet again becomes the stalwart for the industry which is what everyone's been for the last 30 years or so yeah absolutely no brilliant i mean it's a great perspective to be honest um and just if someone was wanting to get into the estate agency business Mm. what advice would you give to them think really carefully (laughs) about it you know and that that is not 
a flippant comment. You know, I've had many dark moments on my eight-year journey, and I'm sure a lot of people will, would say the same, that started at my sort of time. Mm. Look, it's all okay when you're up there and you've got your property book and you've got a regular income coming in, and then it's a matter of keep adding, keep adding. Mm. But starting off is, is a really hard journey, and as I said, becoming an independent boss, company mm. of your own right... And, and, and all that that entails to set it all up, to hire staff, to pay wages, mm. to look at pensions, to pay VAT, I mean, and then to pay the lovely companies like Rightmove. I mean, my Rightmove bill is £2,000 a month. Yeah. My Zoopla bill is £600 a month. Mm. My on-the-market bill is £300 a month. Mm. So, you know, before I turn the key to enter that door, I'm looking at a £10,000 per month loss yeah. you know that i need to cover Overhead, yeah. you know with wages and with rent and that so mm. um that's a lot of rental properties i've got to guarantee to come in you know mm. and as i said that's fine it's it's there now we we don't have to worry and you know when you get these bigger bra- these bigger companies i mean um yes they've got a lot of um a lot of money coming in but they've also got a lot a lot of overheads yeah and you know we talked briefly about the bigger companies mm. and you know the difference between an independent and a, and a brand yeah. you know um is that actually you know, we have a small group, but we can look after our people extremely well. Mm. The amount of times I, I go to valuations and, and I hear the, the desperation that other um, um, bigger company agents have, have, have tried to sell to the, the landlord or to the, mm. the vendor about how they're definitely going to sell it, how it's definitely worth another 10%, how it's because they are so, they have to be target driven. And yeah. if they don't achieve their target, I'm afraid they're out. Yes. So, um, you know, in a market like ours where it's been very tough, you know, you do, you do have to ensure you can reach certain targets, but you have to be able to vary those as well. Mm. I don't think bigger companies do that very well. Mm. I think a lot of them basically are if you don't make your target that you've had for the last three months, you're out. And they don't care about necessarily what's happening in the marketplace. You look at, how many of the bigger companies have closed as a result of, mm. uh, of COVID in the first place. So, you know, as, as, as we started off saying, I think as an independent, you know, you come, my name's above the door for a reason. I want you to come to me. Mm. I want you to, you know, ask me any questions or concerns you might have. And I hope I can give you the, the right answers that will make you feel comfortable to be with us and to keep with us. And, mm. um, you know, we lose very few landlords and generally it's ones that move out of the area yeah you know or go or go go somewhere where i can't operate mm. but um you know we don't we don't we don't have a drop-off we have a very low drop-off which i think is a great credit to us yeah and tells people you know that we're doing the right thing and we get a lot of work from our referrals so that that's a good thing absolutely no that's great so what's next for peter greenwood um the world no <laughs> actually you know what i want to do is i want to uh, to become the best estate agent in the Kingston area that's that's my goal for this next three to five years because you know I don't I don't expect it's going to happen tomorrow Mm. but I want it to be one that people always say good things about and not say oh you know avoid Greenwoods I want them to say you know I went with Greenwoods they were fantastic um, and they did this this and this extra you know Mm. and, and, and our catchphrase is the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little bit extra. So mm. we, we tr- you know, we try to live by that. Yeah, and I can certainly, speaking from personal opinion, I can certainly vouch for that. And um, yeah, we've had a really great experience with you. So thank you ever so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it, Peter. Thank you. You are brave, bold and brilliant. Ah, thank you very <laughs> much. <isn't it? laughs>